Today's passage is from 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. You can find it in the bulletin insert. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family, from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, Here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Thank you very much, Wena. Well, I suspect like many of you here, um, I had COVID um, last year. Uh, we were on holiday in Scotland as a uh, family last summer. This was uh, the summer of 2022. And uh, we all got COVID uh, really shortly after arriving. And uh, one of the um, symptoms of the particular strain of COVID, which I obviously had, was that I completely lost my sense of taste. Uh, that meant that for almost two weeks, I, I couldn't taste anything at all. 
Um, it didn't uh, make any difference whether we were uh, out at a restaurant or whether we were eating in um, somebody's home. I couldn't enjoy uh, any of the food that I was really looking for forward to. It uh, literally uh, all tasted like cardboard. Now, I know at uh, this point what some of you are probably um, thinking, and you are probably thinking that all the food in Scotland um, tastes like cardboard anyway. <laughs> But it really did. It all did. Uh, literally tastes like cardboard, uh, even more like cardboard than usual. <laughs> However, one of the things that I really learned uh, from that whole experience is that my sense of taste was something that I'd actually taken for granted. Uh, previous to that experience, I'm not sure that I'd ever really thought much about my sense of taste at all. I guess it was one of those things that I always just assumed that I would always have, uh, that I would always be able to taste the food that I was eating, uh, and so I never really considered it very much. Uh, it was only when it was taken away that I realized actually how important uh, my sense of taste um, really was. Well, I'm sure that uh, many of you here will know that this is a very true principle for all of life. Uh, whether it is our health, whether it is a particular job that we have, whether it is a relationship with someone who, that we really love and that we really cherish, um, it can be that we don't realize what we've got, actually, um, until it's taken away. And all of this, I think, is a really helpful introduction to our passage this morning, which actually, reels, which actually deals with the importance of God's word, the Bible. Uh, in verse 1 there, we see that God's word was rare. But then by the end of the passage in verse 19 to 21, we see that God has worked to raise up Samuel as a prophet for his uh, people, and he is able to speak God's word to them and uh, restore it to its uh, rightful place uh, in the life of the nation it can be the same for us as well. How easy it is for us to take God's word, the Bible, for granted. For some of us, like with my sense of taste, it may just be one of those things that we think we'll always have. We will always have God's word, the Bible, and therefore we just take it for granted. For others of us, and maybe especially if we are here and we're in the process of exploring Christianity at the moment, we may never have actually experienced anything of the goodness of the Bible at all. And so we've never really come to appreciate its uh, full worth and full value. But either way, uh, we need this passage of the Bible to teach us this morning, to teach us what we are missing and to help us see the importance of responding to God's word in a right way. So then, there's uh, some headings there on your um, notice sheets, and the first of them is the rarity of God's word. And uh, this uh, really brings us to uh, verse 1, where we read, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. And so we're told that God's word was rare. This was a time in salvation history where God usually spoke by his prophets. Uh, what would happen is that a prophet would basically receive God's word in a vision, and then they would speak it to the people to whom it was addressed. But at this particular point, we're told that the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. And so in our own day, in our own age, it prompts the question for us, what about our own country? Uh, what about even our own lives? Uh, is the word of the Lord rare? Now, we obviously know from uh, the passage that we looked at last week that the word of God had not completely died out in ancient Israel. 
Uh, if you remember back, we uh, saw last week that an unidentified prophet had come to Eli and uh, had prophesied the word of the Lord to him. Uh, but we are told here that the word of the Lord was rare, so it was uh, uncommon. Uh, it was still happening occasionally, but it was rare. Now, why was the word of the Lord rare? Well, I think there's a couple of possible answers. Uh, one is that this was God's judgment on Israel. Uh, we saw again last week that the spiritual leadership of the country was corrupt. Uh, the sons of Eli, they were ungodly and immoral. Uh, and so there's no doubt that the rarity of the, of the word of the Lord that we read about here was part of God's judgment on his people. But then there can also be an, another reason why the word of the Lord can be rare, which is that people don't have the appetite to hear it. Uh, if you like, the problem uh, can be on the receiving end uh, rather than on the giving end. Uh, the problem might not be lack of food, but rather lack of appetite um, for that food. Uh, God's word is a precious gift, and we need to be hungry for it, or we may end up neglecting it, uh, and so it may become rare for us. And so hopefully you can see what a terrible situation this was for Israel, and also what a terrible situation it would be if the same thing was ever to be said about us. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. In uh, many ways, what we see here was uh, something that was captured uh, later on in the history of Israel by the prophet Amos. So in uh, Amos 8 and uh, verse 11 and 12, we read these words, the days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. And that's uh, really like what we read here in the book of, in the book of uh, 1 Samuel. Uh, it speaks of a famine, not of water or a famine of food, but actually a famine of the life-giving word of God. People stagger from sea to sea, searching for God's word, but yet they're not able to find it. Um, it's described as rare. And so how is your appreciation for God's word this morning? I wonder if you've ever stopped to think about what life would be like if we didn't have God's word, the Bible. Uh, I have, and it's actually a truly terrifying prospect. If the Bible was taken away, then just think of all the things we would lose. We'd have no knowledge of where we've come from, how God created us, and how he uh, made us to um, love him and know him in his image. We'd have no knowledge of God's goodness and God's uh, faithfulness to his people throughout history. We'd have no knowledge of God's wonderful plan of salvation, how he sent Jesus to earth uh, for us so that we might be saved. Uh, we would have no knowledge of uh, how to live our lives or the, the peace which God gives or uh, where our world is headed in uh, times of, of turmoil, like what we see at the moment. We could have uh, no personal relationship with God, never, never hearing God speak to us uh, so that we can know him or we can be close to him. You can see what a truly terrifying prospect it would be if we experienced a famine of God's word. Of course, a famine of God's word is something that might affect a country. It uh, might affect a particular people group. It uh, might even affect maybe a, a local church. But I think it can also be something that's helpful for us to reflect on as individuals as well. And so let me ask you very honestly this morning, have you experienced a time in your life 
when God's word was rare? What was that like for you? Now, I'm sure that um, some of us here would uh, probably say, well, that kind of describes what I was like before I became a Christian. Uh, God's word was rare. There was a time in my life uh, when I hadn't got ears to hear uh, what God was saying to me. Uh, I didn't have any appetite to hear God's voice. Uh, but in his grace, God spoke to me and he opened my heart to receive the gospel and the truth about Jesus. And now actually I'm someone who really rejoices in God's word. Uh, it's like feasting on the richest of foods. However, there may well be others of us, uh, even if we're Christians. And if we're honest, uh, we know that this verse here is a pretty accurate description of what our lives are like right now. Uh, maybe you feel like you're experiencing a time at the moment when God's word is rare in your life at the moment. Uh, maybe that's because you've been uh, rejecting God and pushing him away in uh, some area, perhaps. Uh, maybe that's because you, you're just uh, choosing to l listen to lots of uh, uh, other things instead. Uh, maybe you come to church here each week and you hear God's word from the pulpit, which is great. But actually, in between times, uh, there's hardly uh, any reading. There's hardly any uh, engagement with God's word. It's actually one of my anxieties for uh, ambassador at the moment. I suspect we're strong on God's word being preached from the pulpit. I suspect we're relatively strong on God's word in our small groups. But I wonder what it's like in our own personal lives. How much engagement with God's word is there there? Would it be fair to say that verse 1 actually describes many of our lives? In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. Well, if so, there's actually some really good news for us here um, from this passage. Because what this shows us is that God loves to bring about a revival of God's word. God longs to do that for us personally, and God longs to do that in our church and our country uh, as well. And uh, all this moves us on to look at the uh, next point there on, on your sheets, which is the response of God's servant. So then in verse 2 to verse 10, we see how God starts to work to bring his word back to his people. And it is all about uh, the person of Samuel, um, who he has raised up. So then uh, let's start with the context. So uh, where are we when all this takes place? Well, well, we are told that this incident takes place at the tabernacle in a place called Shiloh in Israel. And um, Shiloh is about 20 miles north of Jerusalem, uh, if you'd like to place that on a map. And this is where God was worshipped at the time of the Judges, and also the, the time when these chapters of 1 Samuel um, take, take place. Uh, the tabernacle was originally a tent, uh, but by the time of Samuel, it had, been, it had probably become a more permanent structure. And you can see an artist's impression there on the screen of uh, what it may have looked like. Uh, you can see that um, there's probably a main building where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, uh, which we'll hear about uh, in a few minutes. And then there were, there were probably also sort of... Uh, um, of various buildings positioned round it. And then who is there? Well, we're introduced to Eli in verse 2, and we're told that old Eli's eyes are now so weak that they can hardly see. That is meant to be a picture for us of the spiritual state of Israel's leadership. The leaders of God's people, well, they're not com completely blind. Uh, they're not uh, totally blind yet, but they can hardly see. Uh, they are almost overcome by darkness. 
And then we're also introduced to Samuel in verse 3. And the key thing here really is where Samuel is. And we are told that he's asleep in the house of God where the ark was. So this is the ark of the covenant, which is a sort of wooden box that was covered with gold, which contained the Ten Commandments. Uh, And this represents God's presence with his people. And so the point here is that Samuel is near God. You actually can't get any closer to God's presence in the Old Testament than where um, Samuel is at the the moment, uh, asleep near the ark. Uh, Once again, we get a picture of the spiritual state of Israel here. We are told that the lamp of God has not yet gone out. So it's really dark. Uh, Morning's coming, but morning hasn't arrived yet. It's still dark, but yet the light of God's word has not yet been completely extinguished. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. It's an interesting detail in the text. And so the stage is really set here for everything that follows. Uh, This is a normal night in the tabernacle in Israel. And then we read the amazing words there in uh, verse 4. Then the Lord called Samuel. That's meant to be really a key event. Then the Lord called. God is taking action. So we see here that God calls. It's God himself who takes the initiative here to call Samuel. And then God keeps on calling Samuel. Uh, You probably notice this. It uh, doesn't uh, make any difference that Samuel took some time to realize that it's God that's calling him. But God keeps on calling Samuel, not just once, not just twice or um, three times, but four. Uh, God keeps on calling Samuel speaks to us about the incredible patience and grace of God. God keeps on speaking to Samuel and he doesn't give up until Samuel responds. Praise God that we have a God of grace who perseveres with us, who keeps on speaking to us and does not give up. As it says uh, over in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3 and verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so the Lord calls, uh, but we also see that Samuel responds. And so let's look briefly at Samuel's response. Uh, First of all, we see Samuel's eagerness. So in verse 4, God calls Samuel. Samuel mistakes God's voice for the voice of old Eli. And then we read in verse 5 that Samuel runs to Eli. Uh, It says, and he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. Now, I'm not sure what you are like when you're woken up in the middle of the night, but if you're anything like me, I'm not running anywhere. Uh, If you're anything like me, I'm sort of uh, stumbling around in the darkness, moaning and groaning and uh, trying to get the sleep out of my eyes. But yet here we see that Samuel is really eager. It says that he runs to Eli. It's making the point that Samuel is somebody who is ready to respond with enthusiasm, uh, even in the middle of the night. And then we also see here that Samuel is willing to respond. So Eli tells Samuel that it's, it isn't him who's been calling him and that uh, he should basically go back to sleep. And then the same thing happens again. Uh, in verse 7, we are told the reason why Samuel doesn't respond up until this point, which is that he does not yet know God. So obviously Samuel knows a lot about God. He knows a lot of information about God, maybe. But I think this is saying that Samuel does not yet know God personally. And because he doesn't yet know God personally, he doesn't recognize God's voice when he calls. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. 
Then God calls um, Samuel again. At last, the penny drops for Eli. And so he, he tells Samuel to go back to bed. And the next time he hears God's voice to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. This is exactly what happens. Samuel returns to his, his bed. And then the climax is there in verse 10. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. So this time God stands before Samuel in some way. God was physically and objectively present. He says, Samuel, Samuel. He repeats Samuel's name twice as, he, as God did at the call of Abraham and the call of Jacob and the call of Moses. Uh, we are being told here that there's something really significant which is going on. And then Samuel responds, speak for your servant is listening. So can you see the eagerness and willingness which Samuel has to obey God? It reminds us that yes, God speaks, but we also need to be those who respond. Of course, there's lots of ways that we are not like Samuel. Uh, we're not called to be prophets like he was, for instance, and we probably won't hear an audible voice from God uh, while we are asleep. But yet there are some ways in which we are to be like Samuel. And one of them is in his willingness and his eagerness to obey God's word. Uh, have you ever heard a voice calling in middle of the night? Well, uh, Rachel and I have. Uh, we heard a, a voice calling in the middle of the night uh, last Monday night. Uh, however, this was not the uh, voice of God, but was rather the voice of our son, Joshua, um, who was calling out because there was a gecko in his in his room and he was really scared and so I did what I suspect many husbands do which was pretend to be in a really really deep sleep <laughs> and it was my wonderful wife uh, Rachel who uh, leapt out of bed to make sure that Joshua was okay now I'm definitely not uh, recommending my example to anyone else and I'm sure that there's no other dads here at uh, Ambassador who would ever think about doing anything like that but I'm sure that the way that Rachel responded to Joshua is actually the way that uh, we are meant to respond to God. Uh, she was ready and willing and eager, well, reasonably eager, to respond. Whereas I'm sure my response was a little bit more like Eli, actually, uh, who, who lay there fast asleep. And so I think there is a challenge here for all of us this morning. How do we respond when God speaks to us in his word, or when we feel that God is asking us maybe to, to take some important step of obedience. Well, this reminds us that it's our attitude to God that is crucial. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. It's an attitude actually that Paul um, commended the Thessalonians Christ Christians for in the New Testament, in uh, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6, when he says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Why? Uh, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Thessalonians were obviously those who were quick and ready and eager to receive God's word. Uh, or we might think about when Jesus called the first disciples uh, in the Gospels, we read that they were sort of on the beach, uh, working on their nets when um, Jesus was walking along the beach and he said, come and uh, follow me. The word of the Lord, if you like, came to them and they immediately obeyed and they left their nets and they followed him. You see, if we are New Testament Christians, we actually have even more motivation to obey than Samuel did 
because the word of the Lord comes to us not through a voice in the middle of the night, but rather from the loving lips of the Lord Jesus Christ through the words of scripture, the one who loved us, the one who loved you and who gave himself for you. And so again, an honest question, how are we responding to God's word this morning? Maybe I wonder in this coming week whether um, some of us need to actually pray. Uh, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. If you're taking God's word for granted at the moment, if the word of God is rare in your life, why not pray in this coming week? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Obviously, that presupposes that we're spending some time in God's word and that we are opening ourselves up to hearing from God. Uh, We need to give God opportunity to speak to us, but is that a way that some of us need to respond? Maybe it might mean uh, making ourselves willing and available for a new avenue of service as we ask God to uh, lead us and guide us and direct us. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. For others of us, maybe we aren't Christians and uh, we need to ask God to speak to us so that we can respond to him in salvation and receive his offer of eternal life. Again, we, we can pray, actually speak, Lord, uh, for your servant is listening. For others of us, maybe this is a prayer that we just need to pray as part of our regular discipleship as we continue to walk with God. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then expectantly wait for God to speak to us through his word, uh, whether that's through your own Bible reading, uh, maybe through your church community group, or maybe even here on a Sunday morning. Um, Maybe pray, speak, Lord, uh, for your servant is listening. Uh, Open yourself up to God and see what happens. Um, Those of you who know me well will uh, know that one of my favorite animals is the rabbit. And uh, you can see a lovely picture of a rabbit there on the screen. One of the great things about uh, rabbits is that they have really great ears. Uh, If you go anywhere near a rabbit, uh, you will see their ears twitch and uh, they are instantly ready to respond to any sound that they hear, uh, usually by running away, which is not a particularly good example. So let's just leave that part of the example there. But uh, when it comes to hearing God's word, we're to have ears like rabbits, uh, sensitive Uh, open, uh, attentive, uh, ready to hear and obey what God is saying to us. And so we see the response of God's servant. But then we need to move on and uh, look at the final point in our passage this morning, which I've called the revelation of God's prophet. Um, And this brings us to the rest of the story. And uh, what we see here is that um, Samuel is established as a prophet in Israel. Uh, There's a couple of aspects to this. Uh, First of all, we see that God gave Samuel a message for Eli. So that's from verse 11 down to verse uh, 18. This is basically exactly the same message that we saw that God gave Eli uh, last week uh, when he said that his sons would be cut off and that his priestly line would come to an end, except now sort of Samuel is... um, confirming that it would definitely come true. Um, Understandably, there in verse 15, uh, Samuel seems really reluctant to deliver this message to Eli. Uh, After all, um, Samuel Samuel was probably a a young boy, and uh, Eli was an old man uh, and was probably his uh, boss and mentor as well. And so it says there in verse 15 that he was afraid to tell Eli the message that God had said. Again, it's only really small 
detail. But I think that's a great reminder that it's not going to be easy to be a servant of God in the world. Uh, It may actually involve saying hard things uh, to people that you really respect and you really look up to. However, Samuel does deliver the message to Eli, and then we see Eli's response in verse 18. So then verse 18, so Samuel told him everything, uh, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. Now, I wonder what you make of Eli's response there. It's actually a considerable debate on this. Uh, It is possible that Eli here is being genuinely godly. Uh, It's true that this could be Eli genuinely submitting to God's will and and accepting God's judgment on him. However, it's also possible that uh, Eli is being true to form with what we've seen a little bit earlier on, and Eli is just being lazy. Uh, We've already seen that often in 1 Samuel so far, Eli is often apathetic, he's half-hearted, and he just never really sort of steps up to what's required of him as a leader. And so it is possible that what was really expected of Eli here was that he would repent. Uh, He's been warned of God's judgment coming. And so now is basically the moment for him to repent and to intercede for his uh, family and his two wayward sons. But instead, it's kind of like Eli just uh, shrugs his shoulders and he just basically gives up. Now I'll leave you to um, think through those two options for yourselves. But what's clear here is that we are meant to see Samuel as a prophet. A prophet being raised up for Israel. He may be young, but yet God is speaking through him. And God is calling him to speak his message to those people around him as well, uh, which is exactly what a prophet does. Then all of this is really underlined in the last uh, few verses of the chapter where we see that Samuel is a prophet for all Israel. Um, So verse 19 to 21, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And so here we see that Samuel is clearly revealed as a prophet of God. God was with him as he grew up. None of his words fell to the ground, which means that they were all trustworthy and were reliable, which is one of the marks of an Old Testament prophet. Uh, He's regarded by the whole nation as a prophet from Dan in the extreme north to uh, Beersheba in the extreme south. And God continues to reveal himself to God through his word. And so consider the great kindness of God. We've come a long way from verse 1. In verse 1, there's a famine of God's word. Now the word is readily accessible to the whole nation, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. In verse 1, the word of God was rare. Now God's word is being regularly revealed to Samuel the prophet and being preached out and spoken to the rest of God's people. How kind of God to raise up a prophet for his people. God saw the leadership crisis of his people. And what does God do? We might expect him to send a great military leader or a great administrator. We might expect him to send somebody who is just uh, incredibly gifted. But what does God do? In the midst of the leadership crisis of his people, God sends his word. He sends uh, the word through the prophet Samuel. 
I think surely this is something important to say to us as a local church. Uh, I certainly don't think we're in any kind of leadership crisis, but we are in the process of looking for a new senior pastor. And I praise God that the candidate that we've got coming uh, is um, someone who preaches God's word, someone who loves God's word and someone who teaches it faithfully and accurately and, and well. And that's exactly what we need as a local church. Of course, this passage speaks to us ultimately of Jesus Christ as the prophet who God has raised up for us. It's incredible, really, how clearly Jesus is revealed to us in these opening chapters of 1 Samuel. If you remember back to Hannah's prayer uh, in chapter 2, uh, we saw that it looked forward to uh, Jesus coming as the anointed king. If you were here last week, we saw that Jesus is our great high priest who offered himself as the perfect sacrifice for sins. And now, uh, this week from chapter 3, we see that Jesus is also the perfect prophet, the one who not only speaks God's word, but the one who actually is God's word incarnate. Prophet, priest, and king. And it's all revealed to us um, from the first three chapters of Samuel, who Jesus is. Jesus is the one who speaks God's word to us uh, in its most full and final form. As it makes clear in uh, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, God has lovingly spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. You see, Jesus is the leader we need, the perfect prophet who speaks to us and whose words bring life, uh, the one whose words never ever will fall to the ground. And so let's praise and worship Jesus this morning and respond to him in the same way that Samuel did here. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. See, don't take Jesus for granted, but come to him with true repentance and worship him with all of your life. I uh, love the story of the Puritan pastor in England uh, who was preaching once about the importance of the Bible as part of the sermon. He uh, impersonated God really by saying that because of the people's neglect of the Bible, he was going to take it away. Uh, he actually picked up the Bible and uh, uh, began to walk with it uh, out of the church building. But then he sort of changed roles and then pretended to be the, the people and he sort of fell down on his knees and uh, prayed, Lord, whatever you do, don't take our Bible away. Um, kill our children, burn our houses, destroy our goods and our crops, but spare us your Bible. Don't take the Bible away. And then he sort of switched roles and uh, impersonated God again and said, okay, I will try with you a while longer. Here is my Bible for you. I will see how you use it, whether you will uh, love it more, uh, observe it more, practice it more, and live according to it. And apparently uh, all the people uh, broke down and wept. And we maybe think that's all a little bit dramatic, but surely that preacher has a really important point. What could be worse than losing the Bible, than God taking his Bible away? Well, praise God that he's not done that. And uh, we live in a day and an age when we can hear and understand and obey God's word, the word that, of course, speaks to us and reveals God's ultimate word, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.
Lord, we want to give thanks for your word this morning. We give thanks uh, that you raised up Samuel as a prophet for Israel and that you have raised up Jesus Christ to be a perfect prophet for us. Help us to respond to your word like Samuel did here uh, by saying, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And uh, we ask all of these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.